Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. This podcast is designed to help open your awareness to the truth of who you are, a limitless being. You are worthy and deserving of an abundant and prosperous life. It's time to peel back the false beliefs and live the life you dream about. For additional resources or to contact me directly, please visit my website, heatherhakes.com. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 448. In today's podcast, my guest is sharing with you three steps you can use to create intentional alignment in your health, wealth, business, and so much more. It's time to reclaim your freedom and align back with unlimited possibility, which is already available to you. Welcome to today's podcast. I've brought on Luke Lehman. Luke, welcome. Thanks, Heather. Happy to be here. Super excited today. Please give listeners a little background. Where do you live and what do you do? Well, today I reside in Charleston, South Carolina, but I'm a transplant. We just moved here from North Carolina in the height of COVID in chase of, uh, I guess, humidity and beaches. But I'm an entrepreneur by trade. I spent about a dozen years in the Air Force. And then since then, I've been a business owner and investor. Nice. Yeah. And I, I mean, our pre-call was really cool. And I've, I love talking mindset. You're going to be talking some business stuff. But ultimately, all of these, I believe, are metaphors for life. So no matter where you're at, wanting to start a business, maybe entrepreneurship isn't for you. There are still key takeaways to learn where you're holding yourself back, self-sabotage. And ultimately, I just feel like get out of your own way. So I'd love for you to go. Can you share a little bit more about your aviation background and maybe some life lessons you learned from that? Sure. You know, happy to do so. I think that the, the key for the aviation component for me was it was certainly foundational in the way that I put my map of the world together and the way that I view the things that can become possible. And a lot of what I apply today as a high performer, either in leadership or even just being a parent in the way that I think was foundational in aviation. And I, you know, I can recall being early on in that venture and feeling this enormous amount of insecurity surrounding, really, am I good enough? Am I cut out for this? I was raised in central North Carolina. My parents were divorced at age 14. I was a mediocre college student which was a requirement to become an officer and, and then to go into pilot training. And then you get into this top 1% of the 1% of the military, and you're surrounded with folks that have much higher IQ, much higher EQ, much higher physical prowess, and you're trying to compete. And the, you know, the nature of that training program is it has a very high attrition rate. It is designed to get people out. So that constant threat of failure became foundational for me and how do you persevere? How do you keep enough of the finish line in place that you can keep the focus on what's going forward and then tolerate the pain on a daily basis? Pardon the interruption. If this content is resonating with you, please be sure to leave a five-star review. I want to offer you some additional resources. Visit my website, heatherhakes.com and sign up for my free video training on how to reprogram your subconscious mind. I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. I will help you create clarity and a roadmap so you can live the life you dream about. Best part, everything I teach, you can start implementing right now. To learn more and apply, visit heatherhakes.com. 
Now back to regular programming. So, you know, after a dozen years of flying jets and being a super high performer, flying all over the world and, and being a part of some incredible organizations, I, I have now brought those skills forward. And as I look historically, you, you begin to unpack and see what was happening in the subconscious that was allowing you to make those things possible. So I'm a big believer in manifestation, but I'm also a big believer in, in frankly, just taking action to bring those things into reality. Yeah, but look, what you touched on there, which a lot of people might might not even know, right? We don't know our own blind spots until you take the time and get curious and start questioning and become aware of how you're thinking and being. And you had the training to overcome the fear and comparison and all of that. But other people are procrastinating and self-sabotaging because they don't feel enough. Or, you know, I love the, you can't compare your, I'm, I'm going to mess this up, but you can't compare your first chapter to somebody else's 24th. Yeah. Right. I saw that. Some, I think it was a Steve job, but don't, don't compare where I am today to where you are today. It's a simple version of that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and each of us hit different milestones and have different uh, versions of success. It's interesting that you talk about self-sabotage and sabotage is an interesting word because I, and I actually wrote a post about this the other day, because I would not have considered myself to be a saboteur. We, you know, when I look historically, I have a lot of reasons to believe that I was succeeding, but that sabotage is what brings you back to the comfort level. And you say things to yourself that sound like scapegoats and you allow yourself to say things like, well, I don't, I don't really want that anyway. I don't want that vacation. I don't want that freedom. I don't want that flexibility. And that's nothing more than that safety drive, that fight, fight or flight amygdala portion of your reptilian brain that's pulling you back and saying, it's okay for you to be complacent or it's okay yeah. for you to be mediocre. Um, and, and that when you do that, when you find that sabotage button, it's when people quit or when they just don't start. Yeah. Analysis paralysis. Something I wrote down, have you heard Ed Milet says it, but he is not the one that created it, but you know, the whole thermostat mm-hmm. metaphor for life Yeah, that we're very yeah. comfortable at, let's say 72. And anytime life gets better or bigger, we will sabotage to bring it back down to, I literally, I looked this up the other day as an example, just an easy one, 70% of lottery winners within like three to five years go bankrupt. That's right. What? Because they, they sabotage this huge winning because it was so outside their norm. They wanted to get back down to what they knew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what I like what Ed says about that. I do fully subscribe to the concept of the thermostat. What's interesting to note about that is that what's happening there is that you're playing at the identity level. And, you know, you, I guess the, the easiest way that I can make that analogy is that when you become a parent, is one of those identity transitions that become so clear in your life, especially as a man, a little less so for a woman because it has the ability to transition over a 10 month period where you're growing a being and you can live into that concept of becoming a mother. But for a father, the first time it happens immediately. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you were not a father and today you are. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to live into it. You got to live into the behaviors and characteristics and what it looks like in your environment when you show up like a father. And some people really fail. Some people drink too much and they, they party and, you know, whatever it is. But 
the co composition of that idea when lottery winners go back, it's that natural thermostat. I like that discussion, but it's frankly that they haven't envisioned or they haven't lived into the identity of what it means to be wealthy and to begin to think, act, and behave like a wealthy person. And that, that transition, when you follow the be, do, have model that I know that you talk about in your podcast, is that if I want to have the skills necessary to become a fighter pilot, stick and throttle movements, cross-check, external scan, the ability to roll inverted pole and fly at 300 feet above the ground at 300 knots, is I have to first envision what type of person that would be. Cool, calm, collected, the ability to make decisions rapidly, to disseminate information, to communicate, be accountable, show initiative. And I think that's the same thing that happens. But the interesting point about that, Heather, is that you can do it in reverse. So if 70% if of millionaires who inherit money, lottery, inheritance, whatever it is, squander that money, I can also apply that in reverse order because I can first become the identity of the person that I want to become. I can become a fighter pilot or an entrepreneur or a parent before I ever know what it's like to do any of those things. Okay. You saying that reminds me of, uh, I know Bob Proctor says, if you can imagine it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand, but somebody else, I don't know if it's Neville Goddard or who, it doesn't matter, but ultimately that everything is created twice once in the imagination and once in the real world. So you're right. Like you have to imagine it first. And then I'm big, big believer. We're all manifesting every day, whether or not we're aware of it. But if there is a clear desire that you want to manifest, I'm a big believer of you've got to let go of the how, because we come from a very limited perspective. So I'd love to, for you to share your ideas on that, like creating belief and evidence. And then maybe we could even touch on what we did before recording is um, the new Maverick film. Sure. Well, let's, let's go in that sequence and we'll talk about Top Gun here and, and Tom Cruise killing it, flying it 200 feet in a two minute tunnel there. That's super fun to talk about. But I, you know, I think that, that the view that I have on the world right now, and, and the reason I do these, Heather, and the reason I create my own podcast and talk to you is because I want to create expansion for others. And if I can help someone see a version of the world that they had not yet seen before, then we can all win together. And that rising tide floats all boats concept. Yes. But the real, the, you know, the answer to your question there is that what, what we don't realize about our body is what the subconscious does for us. And the differentiation between that prefrontal cortex and what's happening at the subconscious or even the unconscious level. And a good example of that, when, when you ask the question, and you allow your subconscious to go to work, there's two anecdotes that I think are very important for people to realize. The first is when you lose your keys, if you can't find your keys and you toil about and you turn the house upside down, or if you just stop and you just say, where are my keys? And then you go about your business is that you allow your subconscious to go to work. And you know, you go vacuum for a second or you do whatever. And some number of minutes later, you come back and go, I think I should check. I might've left those things in my car. And it's because your subconscious is going to work answering the question that you gave it. And it happens on things that are much larger. And, you know, a, a tip, a tool, a trick or whatever that I would offer your audience is that the last thing that you should do before you go to sleep is you give your brain a task and just to ask it a question, what could become possible? What, you know, how do I make a million bucks? How do I make a thousand bucks? 
and let your subconscious go to work. But there's an interesting component in the study of of psychology and psychiatry that I know that you're a a studier of is how your brain holds reality together. And that difference between what you think is real and what could just be a dream. And, And, you know, the example is I have this recollection in my mind about being at the boiling river in Yellowstone. And there's a high likelihood that that happens because I can put context around it that says, well, I recall being on an airplane. And we, when we use the five senses, we can say, well, I recall seeing this. I know the smell of the sulfur or whatever it was that was emitting from the boiling springs. And then when I, when I can put those pieces together, I, I say there's a high likelihood that that happened. But your brain only holds that reality together. And there's only a very small connective tissue between what can become possible, which is why in that manifestation component, we, we try to apply all the sights and sounds and smells to it so that you can, you can breathe that into reality. So I know we're kind of getting a, lot, a little head in the clouds there, but you know, to come back- Not to being, me. <laughs> not to you. To being a CEO of the company is that I have to first ask, what's it going to look like? If, I'm, if I am the CEO of a $100 million company, or if I'm just an entrepreneur, I have to embody what that first sale looks like. What does it look like for me to do the transaction where I take someone's money with confidence and I deliver them some other good or service in exchange for that? And when I can envision it and I can make that thing become a reality, I can get it as close to that 98% solution of being in the boiling river without ever having set foot in the boiling river. You know what else I like? Um, I mean, we all know that athletes use visualization, right? When they visualize the race, when they visualize the play, and then they go crush it in the game or, or Olympians, whatever. But my thought on that is um, I get really clear on what I want. And then I focus on the inner work. So thinking and feeling in aligned with that end desire, but I don't focus on the how. So in business terms, I know it's a little different because business, I mean, you're moving a lot of pieces. I wear a shit ton of hats as a solopreneur. So how, how would we relate quote manifesting in the business world? Yeah. So for me, there's, so intention, attention, and energy are the three that I follow there. Okay. And when you look at anything that you found in your life, the first thing that you do is you have to think it, you have to intend for it to happen. So when we do that, so that the, the other version of that is thoughts precede feelings, which precede actions. So when we, when we, you kind of brought this up in the beginning, but when we think it first, that is what opens the door to what can become possible. The next step of that is our ability to take the thought and turn it from an intention to then put attention to it. Same thing, if I, if I want to lose 10 pounds, I say I want to lose 10 pounds, I only intend for it to have and then when I intend for it to happen, I focus my attention on it. And this is, again, Ed Milet talks about this all the time is the reticular activating system. It goes back to this concept of being able to see when you set your eyes and you say, I want to get a black Lexus. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all these black Lexuses start showing up in your environment. It's because your brain's going to work for you. So when I set my intention first and say, I want to be a fighter pilot. Then my attention through my reticular activating system begins to show me all the tools and resources that I need. And it's my choice now to straighten those things up and to take action on the things that I can take action on that give them my highest priority or highest return on investment. But I would argue 
I mean, the difference between me and an entrepreneur that's just starting out is frankly that I just have seen enough of it that I have the faith to be able to believe it. That I know that there's there's no natural constraints telling me that even as a solopreneur that I can't grow a million dollar or five million dollar a year business. Those are things and stories that I tell myself to hold that belief together. Okay, so here's my question for you. One, before I ask that, when you were talking about the RAS and the black cars, I want to know and let everyone know those black cars were always there. But now that you're focused on them, now you're like, oh shit. I, I literally experienced that years and years ago. My car got totaled. I got T-boned and I, I decided I wanted a trailblazer. And then literally I got to experience that literally everywhere, like every block, every light. I was like, God, there's trailblazers everywhere. I don't want that anymore. Here's what I want to ask you, because I feel like you're very in tune. You're very aware. And, and clearly, you know, you're implementing what you preach. How did you get into all of this? Who taught you? What life experiences brought you to this? Sure, that's that's a little bit, um, that's a longer story and a little bit more open-ended. But my journey into this was actually through failure and through turmoil and tragedy, like most people's are. When they, when they hit some milestone that becomes unexplainable or seems to be unachievable, and for me, it was divorce. Um, and I'm not divorced. I'm, I'm extremely happy, happily married, and I'm happy to talk about it. But sitting at that seven-year itch of feeling that divorce, and a therapist said, you need to go research have do be. And I go, I don't know what the hell have do be is, right? So I begin to see it, and I study it, and I look into it, and I go, I don't know what you're talking about. But as I unpack that and, and I began to understand it, again, that reticular activating system went to work for me and podcasts become revealed to me and things to read become available to me. And I, I remember reading a book and it was um, doing an exercise it was a Carl Jung book or Carl Jung exercise that was a um, active imagination exercise where you play both parties in the conversation and you write them down. And it was in that conversation that I really opened it up to the concept of just not being enough. And that word enough is what stuck with me. And that really opened the transition up until the next version of me. That was your belief that you weren't enough. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, and it was manifest in my life and it was what was holding me back. I was probably 15 or 20 pounds, at least overweight. I was working 70, 80 hours a week, and it was this belief that I just couldn't do enough. And, and you don't use those words. You don't say I am not enough. You say I could just do a little bit more. Or if I could just get this next contract, or if I just had some capital to invest, or if I just had a little bit more time. And we, we use these stories, but when you flip it mm -hmm. and you make it become possible that you can also do one without the other. I can also grow a business and be a family person because it's not a matter of A or B. It's a matter of finding a way to choose A and B. Mm -hmm. So really the release for me was simply you're enough. You are enough. And it was getting to the end of the day and putting a pen down saying you can go be a dad now. And, and what had to become possible for me was this version of realizing that I had to open my aperture. And I had to find other ways. I had to grow a team. I had to trust in others. I had to release. And for someone who's got, you know, either borderline or undiagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder, it's super hard for me to release and say, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for someone else as well. And I'm going to take their work as good as mine. Don't you think though, behind 
the need to control is a lot of fear. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. And and for me, the two and on that journey, the two the two greatest fears. And again, I I am the same as every single person listening to this. Mm-hmm. Is I have two greatest fears, and they are the fear of inadequacy and the fear of judgment. The difference is that I'm present to it. And I don't allow excuses and scapegoats in my own life. So when something isn't working, I look at it to say, where am I being unresponsible or not being accountable? And where am I experiencing the fear? And it happens all the time. If you think that it's scary to have the idea of allocating resources or time to start your business, try trying to do it when you're going to go spend a million dollars to go grow a component of it or when you put a million dollars at risk. And that's, that's a whole different discussion, Heather, because we can talk about you know, what, what the universe will trust you with. And if you can't handle 10 bucks, you can't handle a thousand, it's this incremental approach about how you can give as well to be able to get back in. So for me, you know, to, to answer your question though, it's this fear of inadequacy. And I, I experience it all the time and when you look back on the history, of course, you experience a fear of judgment. All they ever did in pilot training was judge you. They, they put you under the microscope and threatened to kick you out of pilot training if you didn't meet the parameters that they set forth. So that, that fear of inadequacy and judgment is real for me as it is for any person listening to this podcast, but it wasn't born at pilot training. You have it internally because you're human and erect homo sapien, you have fear of inadequate inadequacy and judgment, but it was likely born into you from surface to eight years old, right? From the time that you were born to when you were about eight years old and it was, it was embedded in your mind. Right. That's what I call the conditioning and programming. So what I hear from you is ultimately, I feel like you take a hundred percent responsibility. Absolutely. Okay. So I think that's huge and something to touch on is a lot of people, and I don't know how to say this softly, so I'll just say it. A lot of people have a victim mentality. And so as an example today, and I was very surprised, this guy I know in, in my Facebook community um, is a coach and he seems really well put together and really successful. And then he puts this post today about how do you deal with heartbreak? So again, it's victim, woe is me, this happened to me. And, and I posted something and of course he didn't like that. But, um, you know, we, we could talk about health. People blame the economy, people blame the government, people blame their boss. So how do you get out of that victimhood and blame? Business isn't working because of the economy. Is it really that? Or is it because of something you could be doing different? There's two, you know, the first component of that is simply choice. And the most empowering way that you can be is to be at cause and to realize that you have the ability to choose your response. And I absolutely, Heather, am subject to anger and frustration and disappointment and even cowardice and some of those really nasty emotions that put us into victim mentality. Again, the difference between me and the previous version of me, because I'm, I'm not in a race to beat anybody else. I'm only trying to be a better version of Luke than Luke was yesterday in hopes that tomorrow will be a better version. Mm-hmm. But in that mentality is that I just choose. 
And when my kids are frustrating or my wife is disappointing or whatever it is, I was going to use some profanity there. So I'll, I'll be gentle on your audience there is that I realize that I have a choice and the choice is my response. The choice is that I, I put myself in that environment. And the easiest way to think of it when people look in their victim mentality is imagine that you're just not there. Imagine physically that you are not in that environment. If you weren't standing where you were, having just received the piece of information that you received, how would you view that same situation? If my wife is yelling at me for not doing the dishes, but I were standing in the yard, would I still be angry? My, my responsibility and my choice was to be standing in the kitchen. And you zoom out and you go, my responsibility was to choose my bride. My responsibility was to go to college in North Carolina, join the Air Force, and you go all the way out and you go, it's my responsibility. And the freeing component of that, the true peace for me happens when I can have two opposing thoughts in my head mm. and I can give equal weight to both of them, but no gravity to either. I can be angry and upset, but also hopeful and optimistic. I can be disappointed in someone's actions, but I can see a resolute answer in the way forward. And when I can separate those in neutrality, and then I can choose what my response is moving forward, I can be at peace. Doesn't mean that I don't experience it, because I certainly still feel anger with an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Yeah. I just move quickly through it. I mean, Luke, this is amazing, the work you're doing. But I want to ask, you know, what are your daily rituals and how long has it taken you to, because I love how Dr. Joe Dispenza says, you got to break the habit of being yourself. And so if you want change in, in your business and your finances and your health and your relationships, you have to realize that, okay, who I'm currently being frustrated, negative, impatient, I can't bring those traits with me if I want to be loving and supportive and whatever it looks like, right? Yeah. So how so are you training yourself? So let's talk about that intention, attention, and energy. Okay. And so one of the components of that it's so important to notice that where you focus your attention is what becomes possible. So let's give a tactic. It depends on where you are. And you ask the question, how did I get here? Well, the, it's an evolution for sure. Now, somebody, depending on where they are in their journey, I, I'm an eight-figure entrepreneur. So if you're an eight-figure entrepreneur or high seven figures, you might want to borrow some of my more advanced tactics. But number one, stop watching the news. There's absolutely nothing on the news that brings any value to your life impending um, depression, war in Ukraine. There is nothing that's happening on the macroeconomic standpoint that's going to affect your ability to be a high performer, to love others deeply, and to affect those around you. And when you can do that, you become immensely free. The second is turn off all notifications on your phone. Uh, my phone, as I'm talking to you right now, Heather's close to me, but the volume has always been silenced. It's been silenced for 10 years. I use my phone as a tool for outbound information collection, not for when someone wants to serve me information. If I need to check my email, I go check it. If I need to get a text message, I go text. I go check my text. But I don't allow my Apple or Android device to give me information at its discretion or its leisure because I need to control that. So when you talk about habits and formations, those are the first two. The That's second, you know, and I give you a more a more advanced is that my composition of the way that I live my life is, is what I call living with intentional alignment. And it goes back to feeding the three primary needs, well, not three primary needs, but health, wealth, and relationships are the only things that I focus on. I work some number of hours in a day focusing on my, my health. 
every morning I wake up and I move my body, but I have a, a more robust regimen of the way that I think about my day. I wake up every single day. I put on headphones and I do 15 minutes of meditation. If you're not super into meditation yet, it's okay. Put the headphones on and just be quiet or just lay quietly. And there's some enormous brain science associated with what happens in those brainwave regimens that you can free up some of your you know, cobwebs in your brain. And what happens for me then is I usually start my day with the two things that I forgot about. And I roll right over and I send myself a text message before I get out of bed because you know you're going to forget that stuff as soon as you get your day going. So meditation. I get up and I drink 30 ounces of water, chug the water, and then I write my gratitudes every day. And if you're looking at it you know, on a, on a video, I write them down every single day, three pieces of gratitude because it yep. sets my mindset for being a champion that day. Yep. So I move through my day and I'm super intentional about it. There's more to the way that I start my day, but it takes me over an hour to get my day going. But what happens is when I get into the high productivity work, I know exactly what needs to happen for the needle movers. So that's, you know, that, that's kind of a big introduction to it. And then the last piece that I'll close with that kind of concept there, what you brought up is that your emotional state dictates a lot of your results. So when people get into this victimhood mentality, I don't have any problem with you feeling sadness or despair or disappointment or hopelessness. What I have a problem with is you staying there. Yes. One of the most freeing things that people can do is ask, how long should I feel this way? I'm furious, I'm pissed off at my kids. How long, should, how long will I allow myself to stay here? Because almost assuredly, when you give yourself the answer, it's going to sound stupid. I'm pissed off at my kids. I think I can stay here for an hour. You're like, really? You're going to stay pissed off for an hour? You're going to one hour of your life, one twenty-fourth of your day, one eighteenth of your waking day, you're going to stay angry because your kids did something stupid? So the emotional state, and, and I'll tell you, Heather, I experience a heavy, heavy, heavy when you lose a contract, when you think that your business is going to fail, when you think that you're going to have to lay off employment, employees, it's hard not to get out of that emotional state. But if you can choose the alternative and say, what's the opposite of this emotion? So if I'm angry, what's the opposite? It's it's joyous, it's ecstasy, it's excitement. And I choose that other emotion. So I say, how long am I going to be willing to tolerate this emotion? And then what do I need to do to find the alternative of this emotion? So what I do that, a simple takeaway I got out of that is I call it catch and replace. Something I teach and coach on. So when you catch yourself in that negative feedback loop or you're feeling bad before I call it falling down the rabbit hole or wasting an hour, right? Yeah, feel it. But catch it and then replace it with something more affirmative or, or what you actually do want to focus on. And again, this is a lot of, I love your word you keep using is intention, mindfulness. It's, it's being proactive, not reactive. Absolutely. And I like that catch and replace concept as well. That's a great, you know, it, it, a lot of people just need it. They need to be able to see what it's going to physically look like. And you can catch that emotion. Yeah. And, you know, as we, as we get into this enlightened state, you realize what doesn't serve you anymore. You realize that that emotional state is limiting. Catch it like a baseball and then let it go. Let that thing fall to the ground and go, it doesn't help me. And that, I mean, I will tell you that I watch extremely high performers get into a very low emotional state and the world closes in. 
what they view as possible gets very narrow. It gets very short in duration and they think, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through today. That's not reality. That's just the way that you view the world. And, that, and that's an important component is that the way that you view it with your peripheral vision is only a component of what actually exists. All you got to do is step aside and see what else can become possible. Yes, the narrow focus from our limited perspective. Okay, I'd love to touch on because this is your zone of genius, right? You're all about business growth and, and development. And But something you shared with me that I have written down here is that all business breakthroughs start from within. Because there are a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners out there. So whether somebody's wanting to start or grow, what breakthroughs start from within? What do you mean? So there's an Einstein quote that I love referencing that, and it says something about problems cannot be solved on the same plane of consciousness they were created. And I'll butcher the quote because I'm not sure and I've seen it quoted in multiple different ways. I've never met Einstein yet. Um, but the, the point is of that quote is that when we, when we confine ourselves by what we believe is possible for us, becomes the highest level that we can rise to. And you know, there's some colloquialisms that you can say above it, but you rise to the level of your aspirations and you fall to the level of your preparations. And there's that little window of where you can operate in, but you have to first make room for what can become possible. I, I will tell you in 2017, I was fat. I was overweight. I was overworked, but there was literally nothing happening in my business that I had not created. And I use business a lot, but business can be an anecdote because life is simply a reflection of you. What the universe gives you back is simply showing you what's inside. So if I view that as impossible, I couldn't possibly grow my business because I don't have the capital. And I think at that point we were doing three or four million dollars a year in revenue. And you say, well, I, I don't think we can get to 15. Who says? You said. You said that. That's what I was telling myself. And I had to first change what I was willing to accept as possible. And that's the, that's the advice. That's the counsel. That's what I would offer people is just accepting what can become possible. You don't have to know, like you just said, Heather, you don't have to know the how yet. Let your subconscious go to work. But every single time that I made something available to me as possible, I manifested. I just moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I had no clue how I was going to make that happen. My business was in North Carolina. It all worked. It all worked. And here I am living on a beautiful waterway in South Carolina, but I had to first set the intention. I had to first make it become possible. There was a point in my life and you, and you zoom it all the way back and you look at every single thing that became possible. How did it become possible that I became a top tier instructor pilot in the United States Air Force? Well, at first I had to have the idea sophomore year in college that it could be possible for me and then I had to take that next step and that next step but at some point I didn't even know that I could ride a bike riding a bike seemed like a, a monumental challenge but it wasn't and that's the component is that when you're in it when you're sitting in it it seems so wildly difficult it seems like it cannot be possible for me my neighborhood has a bike full of, or a, a neighborhood full of bike riders, but it's not possible for me. I see all these entrepreneurs out there starting businesses, but it's not possible for me. 
I want to have a $10 million business, but it's not possible for me. I want to exit. It's not possible for me. I want a loving relationship full of sexual intimacy. I want a loving relationship with my children, but it's not possible for me. And we find ourselves telling these stories all day. So that's the, the punchline there is in order for it to become possible, you have to open the room for the possibility inside yourself first. Yeah. And I think it's the whole idea of you we're very good and naturally talk ourselves out of greatness. Why don't we try shifting and talking ourselves into greatness? It's hard. And that's, you know, this is, this is the hard part for me, Heather. And this is the realization is that your body is designed, your brain, your amygdala, the, the entirety of your limbic system is designed to keep you safe. It's not designed for you to be great. It's designed for you to be safe. It's designed for you to be a hunter or gatherer. And when, when you look at it on the evolutionary standpoint, is that, that our bodies are not so much different in 2022 as they were in 1980 or 1900. We're still homo sapiens. We're erect, right? We walk on two feet. We think with our brain. But what becomes possible is when we can use our prefrontal cortex and we can allow our, our thought processes to override our safety mechanisms. But I, you know, I would just tell the listeners, it's not your fault. You're not designed. You're not designed for your body to naturally work for you in that capacity. You have to choose that to become great. And you are no more or less capable of it than Heather or I or anybody, because we all have the same natural disposition for it. You just have to choose it. Luke, preach. Preach. Okay, so question for you, because I feel like we've touched on a lot of different subjects, a lot of things today, but there really is a common theme. So I just, I'm curious, your perspective, what is the key takeaway you want listeners to get? You know, I have a lot of them. Um, the, the first is that you do not have to sacrifice and that you can choose to live from abundance, yeah. that the abundant mindset is first a choice. Yeah. And that goes back to the gratitude that I have every day. I don't have everything that I want in life, but I am grateful. But I can also be discontent. And I can hold those two in my mind and give them equal weight. I can be grateful, but also be discontent and let that be peace and let that be happiness. So for me, I choose intentional alignment. I choose that what my business looks like is a mix of health and wealth and relationships. And I make sure, frankly, when it comes down to the end of the day, I work very hard. But if you look at eight hours, I sleep for about six. I feed my body for about an hour. I feed my mind for another hour every day. And my health is sustained. My relationships, they get a lot of time and energy. But the last thing that I would just tell everyone is that it's not a matter of choosing A or B. It's a matter of choosing A and B. And when you can open your mind to what becomes possible, the rest will fall in place. You brought that full circle very well. Thank you for that. I'd love to wrap up the interview. So I have a few rapid fire questions for you. All right. What is a quote or a motto that you live by? I, you know, the one that I just gave you, the Einstein quote is a great one that, you know, no problem can be solved in the same plane of consciousness that was created. And, and you have to open yourself to what can become possible. And when you realize that the easiest thing is to look for mentors. You just listen to podcasts and go find someone else that's done it. And you go, okay, I can apply that. I can take that th same thing and make it possible for me. Agreed. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? Oh, what am I reading right now? I, I have a bad habit of starting books and reading quite a few of them. Um, 
what is the uh, Joseph Campbell book, the hero book, whatever, something of a thousand faces. I'm, I'm powering through that one. I don't even remember the name of it. Joseph Campbell, though. Okay. Man of a thousand faces, I think it is. All right. Final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self? Move faster. You know, I, I think that I allow myself to, to accept things to be slow. And I allow myself to think that there's a natural limitation for what, um, what is constraining or what is restricting me for, for becoming possible. And when I realized that I could shorten that time by simply surrounding myself with the who's instead of focusing on the how's, I can move faster. I, and I guess as I say that out loud, the other thing is that just realize that people innately want to help you. I, I don't have a, an enormous amount of time, but I help people all the time that want to be helped. And when someone comes with a genuine question to me about how they can make something possible for them, I'm always happy to help them. And it doesn't come with a bill. So move faster. And then I guess the second component of that is find help. Yes, I love that. Luke, I seriously love today's conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. It's great to be here, Heather. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. I'd love it if you could leave me a review and remember to subscribe and share this episode with your friends. If you haven't yet, connect with me on the social platforms. You can add me on Instagram at heather.hakes and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll catch you on the next episode.